thank you all for worshiping through singing. And now we're going to spend some time worshiping through the Word together. If you have your Bible, open it up to Acts chapter 9, and we'll pick up in verse 10 in just a minute. Also, get out your listening outline and a pen so you can write some things in along the way. And as you do that, let me say welcome to those of you in the contemporary service and those of you joining us online and on television. I'm really glad that you could join us today as well. Uh, just a few weeks ago, I had the opportunity to travel to Kuala Lumpur in Malaysia. And I spent a week there teaching a class on the doctrine of Scripture at Malaysia Baptist Theological Seminary. And one of my students in that class was a young man in his mid-20s. Uh, he had actually begun a career in finance before feeling called to be a pastor. And this was his very first seminary class that he, was, uh, that he had taken. And specifically, he felt called to um, share the gospel with and plant churches among the Malay people. And one reason that's significant is the Malay are a group of people in Malaysia that are Muslim. In fact, they would say to be Malay is to be Muslim. You're born into it. It's actually illegal for them to convert to any other religion. And it's illegal then to try to convert them from that to any other religion. Um, and yet knowing uh, that it was illegal, that's what this young man was pursuing. And as we were talking about that uh, during one of our breaks one night, he said, yeah, you know, you know it's illegal to do this. He said, but, but we have to. So we got to do it. So in fact, if we don't, it would be like accepting a job and saying, I'm not going to do 65% of the work. So this is something God's given us to do. So we're going to go do it knowing full well the risk to himself and to some of those around him who's committed to sharing the gospel and planting churches among that group. I loved his heart, his passion, and yeah, he's acknowledging it's not the only thing we're called to do as followers of Jesus, to share the gospel, plant churches. But it's one of the things and a significant thing, and it's not an optional thing. We've got to do this in order to be faithful to what God's called us to. You know, he reminded me of some of the examples we've seen in the book of Acts you mean our church family has been reading the book of Acts together. And on Sunday mornings, we've been looking at some of the truths from that book and some of the examples of witnesses. In fact, you'll see on your listening outline, uh, so far we've seen the very first witness. We've seen a courageous witness. We've seen a spirit-led witness. And this morning, we're going to look at a reluctant witness. Um, and you'll see the goals there uh, for this series. There are two. One is that every follower of Christ at Ingleside will become a better equipped and more active verbal witness for Jesus. The second goal is that every Inglesider will invite someone who is not yet a follower of Jesus to our Easter weekend outreach on April 8th and 9th. And we've seen some great examples of that so far in the book of Acts. These bold, courageous uh, witnesses. The kind of witnesses that not only are we called to be, but I would imagine most of us want to be. And I would imagine many of you actually are. And so I hope that's just sort of been an encouragement to you as you've seen those examples. But for some of us, it might be a little bit more of a challenge. See, I think it's important to acknowledge this morning that uh, I think it's likely that not all of us are quite there. At least not all the time. Some of us might fall into this category of what we're calling a reluctant witness. That's a person that, I mean, you know, sharing your faith, sharing the gospel, it's important, it's right, it's good. You're not arguing with that. You're not pushing back against that. 
that you've got some concerns or some fears that are sort of keeping you from being as faithful as you should be. They're causing you to sort of be reluctant in any given opportunity that the Lord gives you. And so this morning I want us to see from Scripture first that God can use even a witness like that, even a reluctant witness. God can use you. But I also want us to see some things that will help us grow in that area uh, so that more and more we'll be more uh, eager rather than reluctant. And so we're going to start with an example in Scripture. It comes from Acts 9. And here's a little bit of the background. It's a story about a guy named Saul. Uh, at least that's his Hebrew name. Uh, later in the New Testament, he is typically referred to by his Roman name, which is Paul. Uh, that's the same person. Here he's called Saul. At this point in his life, Saul was a persecutor of the church. Uh, he was having Christians put in prison. Uh, he was supporting them, actually being put to death. And in chapter 9, he was on his way to a town called Damascus to do more of that, to persecute the Christians there. And on his way there, he encountered the risen Christ who spoke to him. And uh, one of the things that resulted from that was that uh, Saul couldn't see. And the Lord told him to continue on into Damascus and sort of wait for further instruction. And so that's where we pick up. Verse 10 says, Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. It's a pretty good response to the Lord. Here I am. The Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying, and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. He knew about Saul. He knew what he'd been up to. He knew why he was coming to Damascus. He says, Lord, do you really want me to go seek him out? He's coming here to persecute people like me. You want me to go to him? Did you write this in? Ananias is an example of a reluctant witness. We know that he was a genuine follower of Jesus. We'll actually see in just a minute that he eventually was faithful to what the Lord told him to do. But his immediate reaction was not one of excitement about this opportunity. He didn't sort of jump up and down and go, great, you've given me the chance to go share the gospel with a persecutor of the church. This could be amazing. Well, his immediate reaction was one of fear, concern, questions. God, are you sure about this? Is this really the right thing in this particular situation. That's what I mean by a reluctant witness. I mean, it's kind of the person who, you know, you're in situations where you've got a clear opportunity to share the gospel with someone and you know it's the right thing to do. I and mean, that's not the issue. That's not the question. But in that moment, your response isn't one of eagerness or excitement. It's, well, what about this? Is this really best right now? And some fear, some concerns begin to uh, sort of at least have the potential to keep you from being faithful. They become sort of obstacles to obedience in that moment. That's where Ananias was. Here's how the Lord responded, verse 15. The Lord said to him, go, for he's a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. 
For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Would you write this in? That the Lord addressed Ananias' concern. I love this. It shows the graciousness and patience of the Lord with the reluctant witness. God wasn't angry at him in this moment. He didn't just sort of write him off and say, look, if you don't want to go, I'll find somebody else to go. God could have. That's not what he did. He got what was going on. He knew why Ananias felt the way he did. He understood the, the fears, and God, in his grace, addressed that. Told Ananias what he needed to hear in that moment. And in response, verse 17, So Ananias departed and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, no, don't miss that. This isn't really our main point, but... Apparently, the first, as far as we know, what's recorded, the first word that Saul heard from a Christian after what happened on the road to Damascus was brother. A man who had a reputation for persecuting the church, throwing Christians in prison, having them killed. And the first word he hears here is brother. God has adopted you into his family, then we're family, we're brothers. It was a new beginning for him. What a word of grace, brother Saul. The Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me uh, so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized and taking food, he was strengthened. Write this in, that the Lord used Ananias' faithfulness. Even though his initial response was one of reluctance. After he'd heard from the Lord, he was faithful, he was obedient, and he had a role to play in what God was doing in Saul's life. So that's sort of the pattern that I want us to consider this morning. The Lord's given us opportunity to share the gospel, to share our faith with people. Man, there's some concerns that might cause us to be reluctant. And this morning, I want us to sort of name and identify some of those concerns. The ones we're going to look at aren't the only ones. I'm sure if you were developing a list of your own, you'd probably include some other things. But these are four that in my experience and conversations and observation are some common ones in our culture. And so we're going to name those. Here are some concerns that have the potential to make us reluctant. Then we're going to let the Lord speak to those. We're going to see some biblical truth that can encourage us then to be faithful as witnesses. So here's the first concern. Maybe the, the number one thing I've heard over the years, that's why I listed it at number one. The concern is that I don't know what to say. Say, I'm not sure how to do this. Like you're, you're telling us over and over, encouraging us to share the gospel. I don't really know how to do that. What would I say when I engage in conversation with someone? Well, here's a biblical response. Write it in, be prepared. Got some time? Get prepared. You see this in 1 Peter 3. He says, But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. And then he says, Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet yeah, do it with gentleness and respect. Now, I know you can't prepare for every possible scenario in every single conversation. You can't predict exactly what they're going to say or what they'll ask. And even if you could, I mean, you can't necessarily control how a conversation goes. I, I get all that. 
But there are some ways that you can be prepared that will give you more confidence going into those conversations. So here's a few things. I'll write this in. One way to be prepared is to know the gospel, to be very clear on what the gospel is and to know how to articulate it clearly and succinctly. Paul gives us, gives us an example of this in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, for I delivered to you as a first importance. So this is the most important thing that we can hear, the most important thing we can share. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Christ died for our sins, was buried, and has been raised. And because of that, everyone who repents of their sin and believes in him will be saved. That's the essence of our message. At the core of it, there's a real simplicity to the message that we're wanting to share with other people. And it's packed with meaning and significance and implications. But the core of the message is that Jesus died for our sins, was buried, and came back to life. Everyone who repents and believes will be saved. That's what we're wanting to share with people. So be very clear on that in your own heart and mind and be able to clearly articulate that to other people. Another thing that helps with that, write this in, is to know your story. Um, another word for that is testimony. That's uh, not the exact same thing as the gospel itself. The gospel is what Jesus has done, death, burial, resurrection. Your testimony is your story, your own story in your life of how you came to know and understand and believe that gospel. Then the difference that Jesus has made in your life. It's a great way to sort of get to the gospel with someone in conversation. Paul does that a number of times. We see in Acts 22, for example, he had the chance to talk to a large crowd. And he starts with his story. What we've just read in Acts 9. He just kind of tells that story and gets to the gospel. because It's part of his story. A little later in Acts, he has a chance to talk to the king. He starts with his story. Acts 9, here's what happened to me. and Here's the difference it's made in my life. Here's who Jesus really is. Now, imagine if you're a follower of Jesus, you know, I mean, your story. Uh, but it's good to make sure that you're able to articulate it very clearly, very succinctly, to go ahead and think ahead. How would I share this with somebody if it just comes up in conversation? In a way I can sort of get right to the point, in a way that would be helpful in getting to the gospel. And then, write this in, know some good tools. If you haven't heard the previous messages in this series, if you weren't here for those, I would encourage you to go back and listen to those. One reason is Dr. McCoy, our lead pastor, has been giving us some very practical tools to help us share our faith. So we've seen how we can use John 3.16 or the three circles method. There's even an app to use to help with that. Uh, we've talked about the Romans road. So get familiar with at least one of those tools and that'll really help. So you kind of see the big point. If you feel like you don't know what to say, well, you know this is something you're called to. Put in a little time, put in a little effort, and get prepared. And then you'll be ready when those opportunities come up. Concern number two is that I may mess it up. I may just want to mess it up. This is somebody that, I mean, you know the gospel. You're clear on that part. But you think, but when I try to share it with other people, it may just not come out quite right. Maybe you're afraid you'll get a little bit nervous, you get tripped up on your words. Or what if they ask a question and you don't know the answer? I think that's a big fear for some of us. I talked to somebody just last week who said, man, what if I actually make things worse while I'm trying to share the gospel? 
What if I answer their question wrong or just say the wrong thing and just mess it up? Well, here's part of a biblical response to that I think can help. Write this in. When you're sharing your faith. Give yourself grace. Give yourself some grace. We're real clear on the gospel, but not everything's going to come out quite right all the time. You might look back on some conversations and think, I probably could have done that a little differently or done a little better. Well, give yourself some grace in that. See an example of that in Acts 18 with a man named Apollos. We're told he was a Jew, a native of Alexandria, who came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. He'd been instructed in the way of the Lord and being fervent in spirit. He spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. So that means that what he was saying really was true about Jesus and the gospel, but there was something that was lacking. There was sort of a deficiency in his message, something he just didn't know. And he really needed to know that so he could include that in what he was sharing with people. Fortunately, look at verse 26. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. I love this. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. It's very kind of them. So we're mature believers saying, hey, man, we're, we're for you here. We just think we can help you grow a little bit. Here's something you need to know. Then when he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed. For he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. So he was a, a genuine, a passionate witness. He was going for it. There was something that was a little bit off. He didn't have it all quite right. And fortunately, some people corrected him, and he received that very humbly, and he grew as a witness, and he kept going. What a great example for us. There'll probably be times like that in your own life where you go, man. Hindsight, I probably could have done that a little better. Maybe you hear something from somebody else and you learn a little bit from them and go, man, that'd be good for me to put into practice. And we're just a process of growing and learning, but don't let that stop you along the way. Give yourself some grace. Uh, I experienced this firsthand in my own life when I was in college. I was working with a student ministry at a local church, and I was invited to come share a devotional at a Chick-fil-A on a Wednesday night after our student ministry was done at our church. It was sort of a promotional thing they were doing. They were inviting lots of student ministries in the area to that Chick-fil-A after they were done with their own programming at their own churches. They had somebody there that would lead a couple songs, and they'd ask me to lead a devotion. And so it did. We got there that Wednesday night, and Chick-fil-A was pretty packed with students and their leaders. And I had an opportunity to share a devotion with them. And I'm convinced that it is one of the the top 10 worst devotions ever shared in the history of the world. Not just in my own life. I mean anywhere ever. It was a disaster. It was awful. Uh, And I will say this is what I had going for it. I was, I think, clear on the gospel itself and clear about who Jesus is. But pretty much everything else about it was just wrong. I mean, the, the organization, the way I utilized scripture or didn't, uh, the illustrations I tried to use. I mean, it was just awful. You can imagine my surprise then when the next morning I got an email from a student pastor who was there. And he told me that one of the young ladies in his student ministry had actually repented and believed in Jesus that night before sitting in Chick-fil-A after hearing that devotion. I read that and I thought, well, that was certainly a work of the Holy Spirit. (laughs) 
It had nothing to do with the messenger or a well-crafted devotion. I learned a couple things that day. One is I had a long way to go in terms of being a preacher. A lot of growth needed to take place. The other thing I learned was the Lord could still use me along the way. He can still use imperfect messengers who don't always get it quite right. Sometimes say it kind of the wrong way or don't answer a question the best way possible. You got to be clear on the gospel. Make sure it's true what we're sharing. You go, man, I'm just not going to get it all right all the time. That's right. You probably won't. Give yourself some grace. Keep sharing the gospel. The Lord will use you in that. You know, there's a guy named uh, J. Max Stiles who wrote a book on evangelism. It's actually called Evangelism. In fact, you'll uh, see it on your listening outline at the bottom. It's the featured resource this week. Um, he's a very gifted and experienced uh, evangelist. It means he, he shares the gospel a lot with people. He shares his faith all the time and very comfortable doing that. In his book, he talks about a letter he received one time from someone who had uh, shared the gospel with a friend of hers. But looking back on it, she felt like maybe she could have done it a little bit better, done some things a little differently. And uh, so she kind of summarized what had happened and was asking for his thoughts and advice. And he actually records his response to her in that book. But then he provides some principles that shape his response to a person like that. To a person who's saying, I'm going for it, but I just don't always get it right. Here's one of the things he says. Again, a very experienced person at doing this, really comfortable sharing his faith. Here's what he says. He says, give yourself grace when you share your faith. He says, I've noticed that I often fear evangelism because there are so many ways to go wrong. I can flub the message. I can keep silent when I need to speak. I can say things that I later think were stupid. But it's good to remind yourself that even your mistakes can help you become a better ambassador. So no, you probably won't get every word exactly right every single time. And so you need to learn and grow where you can. But don't let that stop you in the meantime. Be clear on the gospel. Keep sharing truth with people. And the Lord will use that. There's concern number three, Uh, at least in our culture, this probably would not be true everywhere in the world, Uh, but I think in our culture and others like it, it may be the case. Another concern is that they probably already know the gospel. What's the point in sharing it? Maybe you know that for sure about someone. Maybe you know them and they grew up in the church and they live in an area like this where they're exposed to the gospel. And you think, man, if they wanted to be a Christian by now, they would be. Uh, So what's the point in me having that conversation again with them? I think it can be helpful to remember, write this in, that evangelism can be part of a process. It often, at least in our culture, takes more than just one conversation before somebody repents and believes. And that's possible for sure. But often it's the case that it's more of a process than that. In fact, that seemed to be the case in Corinth. Look at what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3. He says, what then is Apollos? What is Paul? He says, we're servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So apparently Paul had been in Corinth first. He'd shared the gospel. He'd planted a church, and then he'd kind of moved on. And Apollos came along. And Apollos doesn't get to Corinth and say, well, you know, Paul's already been here. The gospel's already kind of present in this culture, in this town. The church has already been planted, so I guess there's no more work to do. That's not what he does. The implication is he hung out there, he engaged in conversation, he likely answered people's questions and did some more teaching and shared the gospel. 
followed up as needed, and apparently more and more people believed in Jesus, and the church continued to grow. They'd already heard it. He shared it again. It was a good thing. You see that in Paul's life at other times. One of his kind of patterns you see in the book of Acts when he would go to a new town. Sometimes it tells us he would go to uh, the synagogue sort of week after week he would reason with them. Showing them from the scriptures that the Christ they'd been waiting on was Jesus, that he had come. Week after week. Not just one time. Not just, well, you've heard the gospel, let me move on. Having follow-up conversation. Answering questions. Looking at more scripture together. Having this ongoing conversation with them about the gospel, about Jesus. And that proved to be a beneficial thing. That's often the case for people. I imagine for many of us here, that would be our story, that you didn't repent and believe the very first time you ever heard the gospel. A lot of times it's more of a process. In fact, there was a a study uh, done in the UK not too long ago that uh, respondents indicated the average time for them from sort of beginning to even think about God seriously and kind of think maybe I should really consider this stuff to actually deciding to follow Jesus was about four years on average. That often included lots of spiritual touches along the way. Often it's somebody who shares the gospel with the person and then somebody else comes along and prays with that person and somebody else gives them a Bible and somebody else invites them to church and somebody else shares the gospel again and somebody else answers some questions they have. And the Lord uses all of that to bring a person to faith. So is it possible they've already heard the gospel? Yes. Is it possible they need to hear it again? Yes. Continue to share the gospel with people. Here's the last one I want us to see, concern number four, that they may not want to hear the gospel. Um, Maybe you know that to be true or you sort of assume that or whatever reason. I just don't think this conversation would go well. I don't think this is going to end with them believing in Jesus. Because a lot of times we don't know that for sure until we actually start having the conversation. But we do need to acknowledge that will happen at times. Not everyone will respond positively to the gospel. So what do we do with that? Well, be faithful and write this in. Trust the Lord with the results. Our responsibility is to be faithful in sharing the gospel, knowing full well not everyone will respond positively to it. Jesus made that clear in Matthew 10, where he sent out his disciples on basically a mission trip, told them to go preach about the kingdom. And he tells them up front, he says, look, if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. He's saying, telling them, as he's sending them out, he's saying, some people will not listen to you. Some people don't want to hear this. But he doesn't conclude then, so let's not go at all. What he's saying is when that happens, he says, shake the dust off your feet. It's a way of saying, kind of move on in that conversation and go find somebody else. Go to the next town, find somebody else to share the gospel with. Well, there will be people that you have a chance to talk to and they don't receive it well. Maybe they're sort of hostile and just shoot it down or maybe they're just kind of apathetic, but it doesn't end with them believing in Jesus. There will be times when you need to sort of shake the dust off your feet. You end that conversation politely as you can, lovingly. Continue to pray for that person and then Look for the next opportunity. Uh, you know, I was the middle school pastor here at Ingleside for several years, and uh, every summer I would take our middle school students on a mission trip to New Orleans. 
And in the mornings, we would lead a vacation Bible school at one of the churches there. In the afternoons, we'd go out to a couple of different city parks, and we'd walk around with bottled water and try to hand that to people if they would take it. And uh, we just engaged people in conversation. We prayed for them uh, whenever we could, and we would often get to share the gospel with them. It was a great thing to watch these middle school students uh, sharing the gospel with adults they didn't know um, there in the park. And during our training sessions, I would always tell the students, like, you know, They'd be a little nervous, and I'd say, I get it, you know, going up to an adult you don't know and starting a spiritual conversation. That can be a tough thing. But I would always tell them, look, an adult's not going to be mean to you. Like, you're a middle schooler. Like, the adults, maybe. But with you, like, they're going to be nice to you, even if they disagree with you. So know that and sort of use that to your advantage. Uh, And so just sort of go for it and be bold. No, they're not going to be mean to a middle schooler. One summer we went uh, shortly after a Supreme Court decision um, was kind of in the news and that I think sort of changed the spiritual climate a little bit and what people wanted to talk to and how they responded to some things about the gospel. And so one day we were out in the park and two of our uh, middle school girls walked up to a couple. They always have adults with them, uh, but sometimes the adults would step back and kind of let the students take the lead in it. And that's what had happened here. And so these two middle school girls had engaged this couple in a spiritual conversation. And that couple began to just berate them verbally. I mean, they just let them have it. They lit into them. Uh, told them how awful Christianity was and why it was wrong for them to be out there in the park telling other people about it. I mean, they just let them have it. And it crushed these girls. They, were, they came and found me and they were just bawling. You know, they came and found their middle school pastor who had told them this wouldn't happen. <laughs> And he started to tell me about the conversation. One of them actually said, um, Pastor Justin, is this persecution? And I said, well, it's a form. Sure is. Heard about another one of our teams that had a similar conversation, not quite as intense, but along the same lines. And man, it just broke my heart. Somebody loved these middle school students. I'm the one that had led them there, put them in that situation, and then seen how they were treated. Oh, it crushed me. I thought we got to address this. And so that uh, night in our church group time, I um, opened up my Bible to John 15. And I'm mean, just through tears. You know, I'm just looking at these students that I love and I just hate what they were going through that day. And um, looked at John 15 where Jesus says, like, they hated me first. And so they're going to hate you too. And I said, we shouldn't be surprised when there's pushback to this. They hated Jesus. They killed him. And we're walking around telling people we're with him and you should be too. I hate it for you, but we shouldn't be surprised. And then we flipped over to John 16, where Jesus says, but take heart, I've overcome the world. I said, guys, he's greater. I said, because of that, we cannot retreat. I said, so much in me wants to stay home tomorrow. (laughs) Let's just call it a day, play it safe, so you don't have to experience anything like that ever again. But I said, that would not be faithful. We've got to keep going. One of those young ladies who had actually been part of that conversation raised her hand and she said, so we're going back tomorrow? I said, we are. She said, good. I'm ready to go. And we did. So no, that young lady is now a college student and has since spent extended periods of time in Asia as a missionary and is planning to go back even longer term to take the gospel to people that need to hear it around the world. That day she shook the dust off her feet and she kept going. Of course, lots of people will respond positively. We need to acknowledge that as well. We see examples in scripture. We're hearing stories from each other. 
Not everybody will. When that happens, you have to end the conversation, do so politely and lovingly, but then keep going. Look for the next opportunity to be a witness for the Lord. He'll use that. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you so much for your patience with us, your grace toward us. And even though at times we are reluctant, you still use us. Lord, I thank you for these truths we've seen this morning. I pray they would um, just shape us and motivate us uh, moving forward to be more eager witnesses than reluctant. And Lord, we ask that through that uh, lots of people would come to faith in Christ. And we pray that in his name. Amen.